Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 612 of the milk bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever, and I got the number right this week. Apologies for getting anyone confused thinking they were on 411. It wasn't. No, you've seen many more episodes than that now. What we've got going on? We've got loads of music. So much music, in fact, I'm going to read my list of uh, musicians. Uh, we've got Tom McCurack. We've got Kerry Kirkland. We have Sam Davey from Roadside. We'll be joined by uh, Betty Harper and also by Bailey Tomkinson. Music from all of them. Also, LGBT plus Sparkle have their usual weekly meeting. Paul Ryder letting us know about that. It features Rico Jacob Pace, and we'll be talking to him about transphobia and the particular the uh, the government bill which is going through at the moment which is looking at removing conversion therapy and banning that and the concerns we have that that may not actually go through the way it needs to. That's all on the way on the milk bar this week. <laughs> Roll the Dice is the brand new single from Tom Serzak, who joins me now live from California. Hello, sir. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? We're doing great. Glad to hear it. And uh, uh, obviously your music uh, is something that's been a big part of your life, but we have the debut album at this time. We do. It's called uh, Call Me Ishmael, and I released it uh, late summer of 2020. And it has been doing fantastic in the States. And then we released it in uh, Europe and the UK in the middle of January this year. And we've had a real fantastic reception in Europe. Close to 200 radio stations have played it uh, since the mid middle of January. So I'm just ecstatic about the reception we've seen. Fantastic. And uh, obviously a, a great sound. And uh, one which, uh, you know... You've probably put uh, a lot of time and effort into all this, but you must still make it sound so easy. It was so much fun recording this album. You know, um, it took us about four months to record it, and I uh, recruited some very fantastic musicians to help me along the way here in, in L.A. And uh, uh, you know, I just have a fantastic group of people on on, on this particular song, we, we threw everything into it. We have sax, we've got slide guitar, we've got, uh, you know, some fantastic backup vocalists. Uh, and it was a really interesting song to do because a lot, of, a lot of times when I write songs, I write music, I like to write in a kind of very linear fashion where I start with a verse and, you know, go to a chorus and go to a bridge. But this particular song I uh, wrote from the inside out, meaning that uh, I wrote the chorus first and then it came back and worked on the uh, the verse and, and the bridge. And by doing it that way, I, I think I came up with a really strong chorus for the song. And I, I think it shows real well because uh, it's it's the strongest part of the song. Uh, but then when I went back and did the verse, uh, I had a very clever idea, I thought, as, as I was fooling around with uh, running down a dream, the opening riff from a Tom Petty single. And I wound up doing a variant of running down a dream and you might hear it a little bit in, in, in the beginning of the song, but it gets kind of, you know, uh, covered up quite a bit when we, we add the sax and the slide guitar and takes on a life of its own, but <laughs> that's where the idea came from. So an, an inspiration, but uh, uh, you know, music born out of uh, your lifetime and lifestyle? 
I would say so. Um, you know, I, I'm a creative writer. I've been writing since gee, my teens, original music. And uh, I'm very much into looking for different types of themes to write about. This one is more of a <laughs> traditional country type of theme, you know, which is uh, take a chance on love, uh, roll the dice and uh, that kind of idea. But I put it all to a whole gambling uh, metaphor all throughout the song. So it came out very well lyrically, I think. And as we talk here on Zoom, I, I see around you uh, an array of, uh, of music paraphernalia and uh, sort of a home office which is sort of bustling and busy. And, and is, is that the sort of you know, pace at which you go? I mean, it, it, is it all upbeat music or how does it work? This is my little home studio where I make all my demos. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably as a bigger music fan than than you are over over there. <laughs> I, I, in, in this little studio office, I, I probably have 10,000 vinyl records and another, you know, 10,000 CDs sitting in here in storage. So, uh, and I, I'm one of these people that collects everything from A to Z in music. So I'm a real consumer and I assimilate, you know, everybody's music, I guess, always looking for that perfect song because, you know, as a writer, you want to listen to a lot of different styles as to what everybody else does. And it, it helps when you're when you're trying to do something original to really have a good feel for what all the different variant styles are <laughs> that are out there. And it's it's really amazing. You know, um, the type of music I gravitate towards listening um, is a lot different than the type of music I write. I mean, I'm I'm one of these people that loves the old. 1970s prog type of music that came out of came out of Europe. Uh, the the older Genesis, the the older Yes, Jethro Tull, and Gentle Giant. But the music I write is going to be more Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty, Steve Earle type of music. So <laughs> two different worlds completely. Well, we will experience the track "Roll the Dice" in a moment or two's time. Before we do, though, uh, I, I just—I want one kind of explanation. Why? I mean, you, you're not in your teens now. You're not in your twenties now. So, how come this is the debut album? Why have you not put this down on uh, on vinyl and CD and digital files in the in the past? Well, you know, about five years ago, I went to a master's class uh, held by Steve Earle, mm -hmm. and um, in upstate New York. And while I was there, I, I met about 70 singer songwriters, my lost tribe, if you will. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they were all putting out, uh, some fantastic independent, you know, albums. And I, I guess I was just so motivated by what everybody else was doing that it pushed me off into the direction saying, Hey, you know what you, you need to put this together. And I had been out performing, mostly everything would be in clubs or in bars, but acoustically. And I thought I had a real good collection of songs that lent themselves very well to a, to an uh, electric style. And so, you know, after being exposed to all of these other musicians and seeing what they were doing, I was like, let's go for it. And um, my daughter is a professional musician in, in L.A., and, and she... Uh, she was able to connect me with uh, the engineer and some of the musicians uh, to, you know, make this whole thing a reality. And as I said, I, I actually wound up with some of the best studio musicians in L.A. 
that I could possibly have, have found. And, and and I think you can, you can tell by the album, it's superior musicianship. In fact, you know, um, just a, an aside, I mean, the, the album was mastered by Emily Lazar mm -hmm. and uh, out of New York City at the Lodge. Now, she has three album of the year up for Grammy out of eight. She's got three of the Grammy nominations. And somehow during 2020, she had time to, to master my album as well as the three. She did Coldplay and a couple others that, uh, that are up for Grammys this year. So, you know, I got some really, really talented people associated with this album. Well, you are very talented yourself. We will prove that now by taking a, a listen to the track. Uh, we look forward to, to more from you. We'll find that via socials and online at work. Where do we get you on the internet? Well, you can find me on um, TomSerzak.com if um, you want to, uh, you know, buy a hard copy or see the lyrics or what have you. And and, and that's, I thought it was going to be really easy, but then I realized nobody could spell my name. But it's, <laughs> it's uh, T-O-M. C I U R C Z A K dot com. And, uh, you know, I, I have uh, Tom Serzak music on Facebook, uh, uh, Instagram, uh, YouTube, uh, Twitter. So I'm pretty much everywhere, and you can find me under my name. Absolutely fantastic. We certainly will want to do that. Tom, great speaking to you. Thank you for joining us, and keep up the good work with the music. Hey, thank you so much for having me.
Kirkland's debut album, Wild is the Wind, is out there now, and Everybody Wants to Rule the World is the current single from it. She joins me now to tell me more. Hello. Well, good evening, good morning to you. Good evening to me, I guess. It's a strange old time of day. As, as we chat at the moment, it's first thing in the morning for me, and it's it's just past midnight for you. Uh, so uh, we, we will uh, forgive if either of us feel a little uh, less than <laughs> lively. However, your, your music certainly has got a great feel to it, and uh, we'll... You keep everybody up there. I mean, it's a, it's a kind of jazz-influenced, adult contemporary pop, and uh, a sound which is it's just infectious. Wow! Wow! My goodness, that's a wonderful thing to hear at any time of day. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, t tell us how you came to the debut album. Oh, for sure. Um, it, absolutely, music has been an, a huge part of my life all the way through. Mm -hmm. But I kind of had a bit of a, you know, a, a this road here, this road there. I was a flying trapeze coach and instructor and performer for seven years in Seattle, Washington. And I was also a private chef. I've also been a management consultant. I've been, you know, kind of Jane of all trades, but in the background, music was always there. And this album came about um, actually because my husband encouraged me and said, you know what, music is your thing. You need to do it. And he actually sought out Shelley Berg, who's the arranger, and uh, he plays piano on all the tracks. And he kind of did one of those uh, emails that you probably never want to get, which is, my wife is a really good singer. I was hoping you would make an album with her. <laughs> <laughs> and by some chance of fate, of kismet, of whatever it was, Shelley answered and said, let's meet. And so we flew from Seattle to Miami, Florida, and uh, met with Shelley at midnight, so this is very fitting. It <laughs> seems I do great, great fun things at around midnight time. Uh, we met him at his place in Florida, and he was actually just flying back from being nominated for a Grammy. He was at the Grammys, and so he ended up um, walking into his house after we had already gotten there, <laughs> and he said, so let's let's try this out. And he and I spent about an hour just sitting at his piano and he played, I sang. And at the end of it, he said, let's make a record. 
Well, and we have that record now as, as proof. And uh, you know, there's something that you've, you've put a lot of uh, love and, and, and effort into and say the team, and having the other half on there, that must be absolutely awesome, keeping it in the family as, as, as that goes. But uh, it, 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 you said something there which I, I can't let go and I don't want to leave it too long before I talk about the trapeze artist stuff. I and mean, how, how does that... You know, obviously, it's all performance art and, and absolutely fantastic, but uh, was, was your husband a little concerned about you flying to the air so he decided to try and be more grounded in the music studio oh well funny enough he's the person that started the school that i went Aha. to the class at on a whim <laughs> <laughs> so I, I took my girlfriend for her birthday to do a flying trapeze class and little did i know that in midair i would be caught very literally and also uh, married that catcher a year to the day after that first class and he owned the circus school in Seattle. And so when I uh, kind of joined on board and I, I took to trapeze very easily, I was a, an athlete, a triathlete before that, and started working as a performer and as an event manager and as a coach, as a circus coach. And uh, so it's really all his fault. We can blame everything on him. Uh, you know, it's just the best thing to do. Blame everything on your spouse, right? Absolutely. But an amazing start to the story that sees this album come together today. So it, it is a huge part of this album being created. The fact that you, you know, Simpler has decided to do a special treat for one of your friend's birthdays. I know. I mean, it's it's fate at work, really. <laughs> so, incredible. so what happens next then? I mean, obviously, when any of your 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 friends and family, you have to try and top that for a birthday gift and uh, the final invite <laughs> to the wedding. So, you know, there's there, there, that's a tricky one to do. But I mean, the gift of the music that you're sharing with them, they must appreciate what you've done, and you must be so proud of sharing it with the worldwide audience. Oh, absolutely. And you know, the interesting thing for me is that I think you're in Wolverhampton, yeah. Yep. So I lived in Stafford for four years mm -hmm. and have a have a you know big group of friends back in England who and Scotland and Ireland. I cannot wait to bring it back. I can't wait to come back and, and share it live. Obviously, you know, that might be a little while, but it's um it's in the works. Mm -hmm. I cannot wait to, so, to perform this live over there. So, yeah, it would be, be great to meet up with you when you are next able to, to come over. Uh, so if you've been with friends, Stafford, literally up the road. I mean, Wolverhampton used to be in the county of Staffordshire before the West Midlands came along. I won't bore you with the politics <laughs> of that one from the 70s. But right. uh, an, an area that you know. And uh, I mean, what, what were you over here for? How was, how was it that you came to be in the UK back then? Oh, it was um, I, with my former partner. He got transferred over there and... Their offices were located in Stone, and mm -hmm. so we were just looking for some place with a, just a bit bigger of a town, and we ended up just outside of Stafford on Doxy Lane. <laughs> it was it was great. It was super quaint and a really quiet and lovely neighborhood, and we had a great time. And to, uh, would, does does your music sort of reflect your your travels as well? Do you think? That's a great question. I I think that it's it's certainly eclectic, and it certainly sort of spans a like you said, a couple of different genres mm -hmm. and a couple of different feelings in general. So perhaps travel is a part of that. I hadn't really thought about it, but I've traveled all over the world and and it's, it is nice to kind of pull from different cultures, different ideas, different thought process. So yeah, I, I think you could be on to something. Mm -hmm. We'll see what develops uh, when you are able to be able to get out and about uh, again. There could be a second album uh, which uh, which features uh, more, more music and uh, taking on the uh, the Midlands scene from the UK. You never know. But mm -hmm. 
What else have you have you got going on then around this? Because uh, you know, say the, the the fact that you haven't been able to, to gig with the album as you would normally do must have been a disappointment. But uh, still, I mean, it has really been a chance for people to, to thrive on uh, the music that's been studio produced. And again, this is something which uh, your your work is. I mean, it's not only you know, sit back and listen to, but there are bits that can work with the you know the, the dinner party which you can't have at the moment. That sort of thing. It, it's got everything, <laughs> hasn't it? Well, I think certainly I, I'm not alone in as a musician, you know, in that feeling that just wanting to tour so badly is is there. You know, everybody's had to, I guess the, the key word here is pivot. You know, I keep hearing people say they've had to pivot and do something different. Mm-hmm. But uh, the thing that I really love about this album is that it's actually a perfect album for staying in. It's It's soothing and people have told me, oh, you know, at the end of the day, I have loved to just put your album on, put it on the turntable, glass of wine, whatever, cup of tea, whatever you know you need to relax. And that the album is it really has that quality about it that kind of just settles you into your evening and dinner party, fantastic. Even a virtual dinner party, why not? Throw it on Spotify. <laughs> oh, yeah. All have your own cup of the album playing in the background and uh, you can enjoy uh, that, that kind of magic too. <laughs> and it, uh, with the, uh, the, the single, uh, Everyone Wants to Rule the World, uh, get, what, what, what background do you give for that? The title's kind of self-explanatory and that's, a, I suppose, born out of everyone's opinion being shared on social media and the like these days. I think everybody thinks they do kind of own that, the, the, the planet and the way in which they can have their say. However, it's a lot of voices all coming together at the same time can sort of detract from the real message sometimes. Good point. And for me, the thing that, that I've really sort of clung to with uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World is that you can really have a bit more of a of a modest take on it and think about um, ruling your own world in, in the way of your contribution. So not necessarily in a political way or in a way that's aggressive, but in a way that's, you know, what's your offering? How do you rule your world and what do you bring to the table? And so giving the, the song a little bit of a spin, a little bit of a, you know, the other side of what I think it's probably started out as, you know, more of a political rally but to give it that warmer community feeling about it, like everybody wants to rule the world. Well, everybody has their own challenge. Everybody has something they're working on or working toward. And what is your thing? How do you rule your world? And I hope you can check out the video because uh, I actually asked uh, friends and family and some circus people as well to contribute small videos of things that they were working on, things that that were sort of a challenge to them that they could then conquer or, you know, complete or finish. And and so the the video kind of reflects that. It's a bit of a collage of everybody's successes. So it's it's been a, a helpful thing in these very trying times. Yes, fingers crossed these trying times are coming to a close. However, the creativity that's been taking place during this difficult time is something which we have already been able to enjoy in digital form and we look forward to the real-life versions too. Fingers crossed we'll see you playing uh, one of our venues either in Wolverhampton or maybe in your former town of Stafford close enough for us to be able to get to and see and enjoy the music. But until then, where do we find you online? Lovely. Thank you. It's uh, my name, Carrie Kirkland, K-A-R-I-K-I-R-K-L-A-N-D.com. Uh, also on Spotify, Apple, Deezer, um, my goodness, uh, all of the usual 
suspects for streaming and uh, Bandcamp as well. And it's a CD, it's digital download, and it's also a double vinyl album. A beautiful piece of work. Not some fantastic formats uh, to enjoy the music in. You can get it immediately. You can wait that little bit longer and enjoy it in gatefold format. It sounds absolutely fab. Kerry, thank you for joining us. And uh, we'll now enjoy uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World and uh, look forward to uh, making sure we get our hands on a copy of the whole album in the not-too-distant future. Thank you for joining us again. Thanks for having me. been a pleasure.
Ponies But is the album that the boys in Roadside are currently working with. I'm joined now by Sam Davey to tell me more. Hello, sir. Hello, Jason. You right, mate? I'm good. How do we find you? Oh, yeah, very good, mate. Uh, so tell me how the band came together, because it's a bit of an interesting story there, isn't it? The band was essentially Roadside many years before I joined it. Um, but they sort of, you know, were... Uh, wives and children that they took a little break and then uh, come across a bit of my songwriting and uh, we went from there basically yeah they, they all kind of believed in what I was doing and then Colin started writing again himself and um, yeah we should start putting uh, the, the fast songs together which is obviously on this album. So this is great to have uh, the, the, the music in one place and the, in, no, I'll do that again, three, two, one. Uh, so, so the album itself then, how long has this taken to pull together? Well, this is a really strange album from us um, because it's probably a collection over 10 years. Um, uh, we just decided in the end that we had, I don't know, we had say about 16, 17 songs and we decided to narrow it down to 12 and um, those 12 have, uh, the, the oldest song that was written there, Trigger of a Girl, which is the first song, was probably wrote about 20 years ago. Uh-huh. But for whatever reason, it really suited what we were doing, doing with that album, so we uh, yeah, so we put it in there. But the scary bit is, we say 20 years ago, we're actually going back to the uh, the start of the noughties then. So, I mean, yeah. and, and music itself, I think we've kind of dipped in and out of the, the, the indie pop rock vibe since, what, not late, late 80s, right the way through till now. And, and it's, it's not become samey because there are so many different people doing different things in the genre. And, I mean, yeah. Roadside's work, it really stands out on its own. Oh, thank you, mate. Yeah, I, I, um, I'd like to say, actually, that what we're writing now, uh, which will be a new album, will be quite fresh. So it's, uh, it's, uh, We've been writing an album for a while and uh, we're all really excited about that to... Um, because the first album, as much as we love it and love all the songs, it it was over such a long time. You kind of lose that that little push to to really make something of it. But I mean, um, it's it's all, it's all fresh though to your audience, even though you may is, feel yeah. you guys have been working with it for a bit. Yeah, that that's a really that's a really fair shout. Yeah, because to our audience, it's it's brand new, isn't it? Like you said, but to us, it's kind of like right. We kind of just want to we want to get on and do the new stuff because. Um, that's always been our thing, you know, original music. We never re- rarely play any covers or or anything like that. So we've always wanted to get down and, and write new stuff. So I, I think because there was a lot of creativity within the band, uh, we kind of just, we, we, we struggle anyway to, to, to promote our own music. It's, it's, it's really hard. And that's that's why we try and find, find guys like yourself, Jason, who I like to call champions of unsigned bands and artists. And you know, help us to do that side of it because it, it that's the toughest bit for us is trying to get our music out there. So I think, like, that naturally just lets us... Uh, how can you put it? I think you get to a point promoting, like, an album or a single and you think, I can't do anymore because I don't know how to do anymore. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think, I think the thing is a lot of people miss out on a lot of good music. There are so many people that I speak to that I can't understand why they're not hitting the, the, the top 20. And you, some of the stuff that you hear these days, which often doesn't mean anything to anybody, you've got real people out there creating real music of the same quality. And the fact you can do this through as, as smaller studios and home studios and still work with some absolutely awesome producers these days means that you've got yeah. such a great way of sharing these words, these, these music 
music, these themes, these genres. And you know, it, it's, a, it's a case of missing out and whereby you guys might be playing to you know, 100, 150 people in a small venue when you're allowed back out and about. Um, yeah. it, it's, those 150 people are actually having the absolute time of their lives and it should be shared. Yeah, I, I think that's a really great point. I've, I've, I've thought for a while now, and I know the guys share my views with this, is you know, we, we first, of all, first of all do this for ourselves mm-hmm. um, because we love it. You know that's that that's that the passion for that is is what we do it for. The second thing is is to to get people to share it and and enjoy it with. Um, and I guess yeah, the more the merrier, as it were. But like you said, if if it's just uh, if it's just a couple of people in a local pub who are really into it, then you know that's still good as well. And we've done that. We we I remember playing a gig in Plymouth, and uh, it was an open air gig, and our single video was played on the uh, big screen afterwards and there was about 400 people there it was a, it was a really really big event for us and then uh, i remember traveling to yeovil shortly after and playing a, a pub that someone hired us for and uh there was two people and uh, <laughs> this one guy i think was walking through to have a fag and i think he just sort of stopped and nodded his head just because he felt a bit sorry for us you know? <laughs> so so but yeah you know you know i think that's the uh, that's the life of an unsigned band yeah, and, and but it's it's one that you couldn't do without, and certainly you have that audience. They say whether it's those two people, that fella, you made his night probably, and uh, yeah, you know, and he and he made yours by stopping and staying. So that 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 is all good. So if we yeah. were to take a, a listen to your music, obviously the album is out there. People can pick this up. They can get it digitally. You can share this globally now. So that's a that's a great thing in itself. But uh, but w- w- how do you think people should access your music? You've got you've got the single with the video, and we'll take a listen to that in a moment or two's time. But yeah, uh, well, like like I say, we, we try and put as much effort into the creative side as we can. So yeah, the album is available on Spotify, Amazon, and iTunes, etc., which is great. But we also have done lots of music videos over time, which you can see on our YouTube channel, which is all all our tags are roadside tunes as the AA and the RAC kindly nick most of the roadside websites. So. <laughs> um yeah we um yeah we 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 do get quite creative we've made a couple of good music videos that's interesting to see and even on our facebook and twitter we always try and keep a video diary of what we're doing um yeah so so i like to we're not like the most active band in the world we harass people but we we've always put a bit of content on there yeah we, we like to get creative with music videos and we we generally uh video diary stuff that we're we're doing at practice um and stuff so yeah I, I like to think that we uh we keep we, we keep putting stuff out there and um yeah but for us the, the next step will be releasing this second album uh um, you know that excites us all so yeah hopefully we can get back and practice soon in there because i think we're about eight or nine songs into that so we've already got a few to go well, fingers crossed we get that in the not too distant future roadside yeah. tunes is where we look for you on all the socials and on the web and uh, we're going to enjoy a song from you now. Which one are we going to hear, sir? We, we took a long time filming this because uh, we, we're lucky we had a producer, Siobhan, uh, and she, uh, she has some, some cracking ideas. We, we, end, we end up in prisons, uh, all sorts going on in it. We had sort of a, a helicopter, not a helicopter, we had a, a drone so we could do a car chase. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty, for, for, for an unsigned band, it was uh, a lot of effort went into that. So, uh, yeah, the video I'd like to show you is Disarm. Okay, we will take a listen to that. Meanwhile, thank you for joining us. Keep up the good work and uh, keep us posted on album number two, which hopefully won't be too far off. Thanks for everything you do for the inside bands out there as well, mate. It doesn't go unnoticed.
LGBT plus sparkle once again have their Thursday get together this week as usual. To tell us more about what's going on, I'm joined not only by their guest speaker, Rico Jacob Chase, but also by Paul Ryder from LGBT plus sparkle and of course the unicorn Felicia as well. Hello to you all. Hello. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Oh, good, good to talk to you. And uh, first of all, Paul, um, uh, obviously we, we, we were debating the name of the unicorn last time we spoke and this is the, uh, the, the logo for your group and that's one of the things we can spot when we look out for you online so give us the details of where we can find you to begin with before we have a chat with Rika. Um, you can find us on Facebook um, LGBT Sparkle Wolverhampton if you mail us it's LGBTQ Sparkle at gmail.com so that's the important bit on how you get in touch. And uh, you've got uh, another weekly get-together as ever on Thursday, all getting and going at 2 o'clock. There'll be a Zoom link available to your members. But how did you meet Rico? Oh, I met um, Rico at, um, I think there was something to do with LGBT, and it was at a Shrewsbury event, I think. It was on um, Facebook, I think I heard about it. Mm -hmm. And bringing a, a chat now to your group. And, and Rico, tell us a, a bit about how you work with your motivational speaking and uh, what uh, you will you know, be talking uh, around on Thursday. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily classify myself as a motivational speaker. Um, I am a director at Transaction UK. I'm a black trans guy, so I do a lot of work in the racism space. So I wrote and produced, directed and produced um a radio show called against racism on real rebels radio uh last year and um for my work as a director of transaction uk I, I did a speech at parliament um two weeks ago um i've done some work with the nhs um done some work with the department of transport effectively they if they need uh some uh, feedback or some kind of understanding of um how users have used or the ex experiences of using their services and they kind of come to um, Transactual and we kind of do a review and give them a summary and then we come along to some of their speeches. But um, yeah, so it's fair much because it's consultation work. Um, yeah. So and it was Shrewsbury LGBT um, History Month and I was talking about uh, trans lives in British history. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Paul asked me to come along and speak to um, LGBT Sparkle. I'm more than happy to. Absolutely. And, you know, it is a, a having an understanding and appreciation of everybody in our community that helps us all work together and just be the one community we should be. And certainly within the trans community and the things that, as you've say, you've been speaking to Parliament, uh, there, there's an awful lot that is going through at the moment and concerns around legislation which needs to be put right. And in particular with the conversation around conversion therapy and ensuring that that is absolutely outlawed. No, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it seems as if with conversion therapy that it's um, it's considered almost like a no-brainer for the rest of the LGBT community. When it comes to the trans community, there does seem to be a certain amount of hesitation, which um, I guess you have to say that it's understandable in the sense that a lot of MPs haven't actually met trans people. Um, but on the other side of that is that human trans rights are humans' rights and um, it really shouldn't be questioned. Some of the consultation, we did notice that um, a lot of organizations, like say for example, religious extremists were consulted throughout this, but at many trans specific groups. So it does seem to be um, heavily one-sided 
so we have a whole raft of victims of conversion um, therapy, trans victims of conversion therapy, which we would just love to have the opportunity to introduce those to the people making this decision. Um, so it, it seems incredibly difficult to, if people are only speaking to the, um, well, we, we deem them to be religious extremists because we just think it doesn't make any sense. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot there and there's a lot more that needs to be done. So for example, the GRA reform, uh, for me personally, I probably spent around about a grand um, just on medical uh, documentation in order to um, justify my existence. And that's just to start myself on testosterone. That's not even paying for the testosterone. So that's incredibly problematic when you think about um, the price hierarchy in order to even uh, identify externally as you are internally um and it's it brings a certain element of privilege to it so i'm well aware that i'm in a position of privilege which i can manage to fork out that grand now that's not to say that the grand is going to the government the grand isn't going to the government but the government issues a specific list of say 20 or 30 more than that medical professionals that um have the credibility in order to make this uh, gender dysphoria diagnosis it creates a monopoly or an oligopoly as you like which means that you have a very, very large number of people in the country streamlining and going straight to the same people. It pushes up their waiting list. And it's the same people who are, you can go to privately that you can also go to in the NHS. The NHS mm -hmm. waiting list for the first appointment for a trans person is five years. So if, if you... <laughs> If you um, break your leg, you know, it's a couple of months. I mean, obviously, that's more painful. If you if you break your brain, mental health, that waiting list is three months. If you want to be who you are, that's five years for the first appointment. So you probably would end up um, getting on hormones in six years. And that there's a lot of significant amounts of stress. Um, can you imagine if you woke up in the opposite gender to who you currently are? If you're a guy, imagine waking up as a woman and see how that would feel after a couple of days. It, it's, that's what it feels like to be a trans person. You're in the wrong body and it's a daily constant reminder. Um, and uh, in order to get that um, rectified, uh, it's just a, an elongated, exhaustive and expensive process. Yeah, because I think the problem we've got here is the people who are discussing what can and should be done aren't any, no one in this group understands what you're going through. And I can't understand it, Paul can't understand it. You can tell us about how you've approached getting to the point where you can do something about it, but uh, you know, often uh, gender dysphoria is classed as a, a mental health issue. It's not the mental health issues come from the gender dysphoria. It's, it's about finding out who you are and being able to, to, to deal with that and not dealing with it can cause mental health issues. 100%. Um, dysphoria or um, being trans is actually no longer classified as a mental health issue. Uh, it was declassified fairly recently. And um, just a bit about that, excuse me. So uh, the fluidity of sexuality and gender was actually recognized in ancient communities. Um, there's actually a non-binary Egyptian pharaoh um, I think in the Ngodo tribe, the, the um, non-binary or the third gender people are recognized. Third gender people are recognized in Native American culture. To be trans or non-binary, um, as well as having a sort of a, a whole spectrum of um, sexuality, is not considered new. These are things that were actually part of ancient civilizations. And with the uh, inclusion of colonialism, colonialism effectively in the attempt of um, perpetuating the idea of 
uh, a um, a reformed uh, society, white supremacist society. So if you consider you've got white men at the top, underneath that will be women, underneath that will be people of colour, and then, I don't know, depending on how you interpret it, or you'll probably have LGBT or trans non-binary people towards the bottom. Or if you happen to be part of two demographics, it's like a double hit. You know, you've got two targets on your back. But all of this... Um, uh, interpretation of the ideal society means that um, women are seen as uh, child bearers, uh, home givers, and they have uh, they are not allowed to have assets. That's something which came out of it. POC people are seen as um, uh, they don't feel as much pain so they can be uh, in, in the fields working or they're only good enough to um, sort of run things. They can't, they can't actually own any assets. They're seen as possessions. Uh, it's exactly the same thing. All activists are fighting against the same ideology that's been instilled in our societies. And um, once you understand that uh, homophobia and transphobia is actually a form that uh, came from colonialism, people actually say that uh, colonialism, um, that transphobia is actually a form of racism because being part of non-binary and trans or et cetera was so uh, was originally part of our cultures. So it wasn't problematic. So I went through the UK curriculum. So if you go through the UK curriculum, obviously you're not going to be taught colonialism to obtain extent that someone who comes from a different country. Uh, so for example, um, the black Holocaust in the Congo where more people died or that's the competition who died the Holocaust was still traumatic. But the black Holocaust, more people actually died than that then in the Holocaust but it's not mentioned in the UK curriculum. No one talks about how Churchill had concentration camps in Kenya after the Second World War. We, we have these um, ideas of, um, like say for example, George Washington also owned slaves. He wasn't like the founding father of freedom as we like to think of it. The vic victors rewrite history according to what we want to believe. And the same way that we're talking about racism, the same way we're changing our perception of women, it's the same way we're changing perception about the trans community. But the, the problem is, is that it, where the way societies change, they change slowly and you're not responsible for the uh, information that has been fed to you or taught to you. Say, for example, Section 28 in response to the AIDS pandemic um, because they didn't want to create a new generation of, of gay men because um, of the horrific things that were happening in the streets. Margaret Thatcher's government decided to remove... Um, they decided to remove the mention of uh, all the LGBT community in books. Tracy Beaker is a good example. There's a character in Tracy Beaker, which quite obviously would be a lesbian woman. But you, imagine you, you couldn't actually have those words in your book as a kid. Like it, it would be removed from the shelves. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of information that hasn't been fed to us. So if you're looking at um, a gay person thinking, oh, that's a bit different. If you're looking at a um, a uh, trans person going, oh, okay, that's really different. It's because you weren't taught about it. And that isn't necessarily your fault, but because you are a product of your environment, it's up to um, uh, individuals to become allies. It's up to organizations like Stonewall LGBT Alliance to go into corporations and actually re-educate um, members of our society. Because in a way we are living in a dystopia. And I, <laughs> the, the word woke uh, may seem like really, really cool, but our new generation are actually having access to this information and we're thinking oh my god like it makes sense if you think about it why would i put a book in front of hundreds and hundreds of kids that effectively talks about how i um went to different countries raised their cultures and raped and pillaged their women 
<laughs> it's just not a good story. It's not going to create an entire nation of proud British activists or proud British nationalists, sorry. It's not something that an education minister would probably want to do because it doesn't, it's, it's not nationalist. But at the same time, if you remove um, the history of communities or you will, you will be looking at individuals as individual as opposed to an amalgamation of the social economic factors that led to that individual. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to it. And I enjoy talking about this because I feel as if the more people I talk to about, the more allies I get. And um, it's just, I, I've just had some like really beautiful responses. I had some questions about, wait, send me this article. But a really, really good example is that some of the laws they just removed from India, um, the buggery laws uh, that actually um, made uh, um, being gay um, illegal in India were actually put in by a colonialism. Mm -hmm. And it was Theresa May that made an official apology um, during that time, effectively saying um, the UK government is acutely aware that a lot of the homophobia which is being instilled in these countries came from um, colonialism and um, and as a result we are responsible for some of the, the trauma and um, the legacy uh, perceptions that are in the countries today. Uh, I paraphrase that a bit but that's the general set the general sense of what was said so the British government is aware of it and they have apologized for it. It's just a case of spreading that information in a sense where people find it productive as opposed to vilifying individuals that they necessarily need to feel guilty about the past. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the past, as you say, it, it needs to be reported. And it's also, it's got to be reported as being wrong. It's almost as if you've got to say, look, this happened. We know it's not right. We are not going to do it again. And it's also making sure we are not doing it again because the, it, it's, it's so easy for history to repeat itself when there are people in control who, who want to stay in control and use the power that they have to... To, to, to lord over people who really deserve to, to have equal rights. And I mean, we, you, you talk about uh, different parts of our community. If we could get to a point where there was no longer the need for labels in our community and people were just people, you are who you were born to be and you get to be assisted to be that person through whatever means is necessary. And so you, you were talking about waiting lists, the time it, uh, it goes to, to, to be, you know, get to the point at which you can start your transition to the person you were born to be mentally where your physical form hasn't matched up and you know it's 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 like no one has chosen to go onto that path why on earth would you want to put somebody off putting themselves into the into the right body yeah it doesn't to be honest there's about uh 300,000 of us uh, and trans people probably count for one percent of the global population mm -hmm. but we get <laughs> way too much news coverage we're just <laughs> like wow people like you really are interested um i want to get to the point where i'm no longer interested i can just focus on my gardening like it just we're not that interesting um and there's more there's more parts to our identity than people tend to think um, a lot of people say to me, oh, Rico, your Instagram is so trans. It's like you just seem to talk about this all the time. I'm like, no, when you hang out with me, I literally talk about everything but it because it doesn't really, it, does, it doesn't, isn't the um, main factor of my identity. Like I, I'm a brother, I'm a boyfriend, you know, I'm a son. There's a lot more to me than just being trans. You know, I have those relationships. Um, but just to say, uh, so transphobic hate crime has actually risen by 400% from 2015 to 2019 and you may think okay well if it happened five times and then you sort of went up by four is 400 is it that big it's, no there's thousands of us and i think about 
and about 80% of us have experienced hate crime in the last year. It's something that is almost part of our daily routines. And I think a lot of us have actually found it refreshing not having to take public transport because um, if you are passable, you may get be okay. But if you're non-passable or mid-transition, it is, it is incredibly dangerous, especially for trans women. Life expectancy for a black trans woman in the US is 35. Um, and that's for a whole raft of social economic reasons. Effectively, you are choosing your identity over your livelihood for your ability to um, just provide or survive. Um, and yeah, it's, it's shocking out there, to be honest with you. Um, a lot of uh, funding for anti-trans hate crime. So if I'm doing a submission to the Law Commission or doing a submission to the UN, we know that on the opposite side of this argument is always going to be anti-trans groups. And a lot of these anti-trans groups actually brand themselves as feminists. Mm -hmm. uh, they call themselves as radical feminists. Um, and they do have very, very close links to the evangelical Christians in the US. So the same ev evangelical Christians in the US that funded Trump's campaign, the reason why he says some really shocking things, um, or um, some of the transphobia, transphobic policies that Trump put through. So, for example, uh, he denied trans people access to healthcare during the pandemic, um, and he uh, removed all trans people from the U.S. armies because he can't serve anymore. It's the same people in those groups that are actually funding anti-trans movements in the U.K., and they organised. And uh, they're well funded. I think there was about four billion. I uh, someone did some research. Four billion has been put into anti-trans groups, um, and it's 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 getting to the point where, um, say for example, during the House of Lords discussion uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, that was on um, a maternity bill, and effectively what the maternity bill said, it said pregnant people, which is inclusive because if you include trans men, trans men can get pregnant. Um, me personally, would that cause dysphoria? Yes, it would, because I feel like 100% like a guy. But uh, we have to remember that both gender and sexuality is fluid. There's no set rules to this. And once you sort of remove that um, perception on society, on individuals, you start realizing that inclusive language is just better. Mm -hmm. So the terminology was pregnant people. And that's terminology that um, um, a lot of people, non-binary and allies in the NHS have tried tirelessly in order to sort of change and make their, their health service more inclusive, which is just better for everyone. Um, but the House of Lords decided to change it to pregnant women. And that was because the, um, the TERFs or the radical feminists gave them the impression that by using this inclusive terminology, they would be erasing the identity of women from society, which is... It does to me it doesn't make any sense i mean i would love to have a conversation with the turf while they try and explain this to me so i can probably hopefully find some eye to eye but um i think uh, evangelical christians do have um a strong uh hatred of the trans community they don't see trans women as women and considering we're only like one percent of the population we get significantly more attention that we really need to the gra reform was effectively to remove the um the sort of heavy, uh, expensive medical paperwork, which is a requirement in order to get your the letter changed from your passport. Mm. So despite me sounding like a bloke and looking like a bloke, <laughs> my passport still says um, female. And it is it's like you're outing yourself when you go to the bank, when you go to the park, when you get an ID from the club. Like, I just, if I, can I get a pension? If I go to a new employer and I get a pension, 
my I, I don't necessarily disclose that I'm trans during the application process, my employer will have a, a, um, the uh, reason to uh, dismiss me as an employee or discount from my, my contract entirely because when I do my pension paperwork, I have to have my passport. My passport would be like, well, may female. So I'm saying we, we don't have the ability to, to just be ourselves and just do our jobs. We have mm-hmm. to be the trans hire, which I don't mind being because my public speak breaker, but sometimes people just want to get along with their lives. They don't have to disclose their medical history in an interview process. Yeah. So just quickly on that. So the GRA reform was just going to make it a, um, a legality process. Mm-hmm. I go with a witness to a judge and I change the letter on my passport. That was all we really were asking for. Um, it, they, uh, they sort of they got pushed um, between governments. I think we had to wait four years. Um, it was left to the side for two years. Mm-hmm. It, it just wasn't um, considered a priority. And uh, they just decided they weren't going to do it. And that was in 2020, yeah. a couple of years ago. And that, that so, needs addressing. And uh, hopefully through more understanding, more talks like you're going to do on Thursday, we can get to the point where people actually listen and hopefully something positive will come out of what's going through Parliament at the moment. I know there's a lot of people who aren't hopeful and unfortunately that lack of hope is uh, is not good. Uh, we need to see a change there, I think. But uh, Paul, give us those details again on where we're going to hear more from Rico and uh, give him a chance to actually talk for, for more than 20 minutes because I, I know having had a chat in the week, there's a lot to say here. You can follow, follow, find us on Facebook, LGBT Sparkle Wolverhampton. Um, the um, link will be on there and all the information. So check out the details there. Rika, thank you for joining us. Paul, thank you for putting this together. And uh, another important part of uh, yeah, having that conversation uh, in the right way to make sure that we get the, the yeah, rights for everyone. Everyone should be equal. And that, there should never be any doubt over that. Rico and Paul, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bailey Tomkinson's current single, Silent Suffering, hit the top of the country music iTunes charts straight away and has been in the top 100 across the rest of the genres. She joins me now for a bit of an answer about her music. Hello. Hello. How are we doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And uh, when it comes down to it, uh, country music itself has got an absolutely huge following, but it's so much of a, a crossover genre. I mean, country is country is country, but it, it it's it's music for everybody isn't it yeah no it's very accessible i think because um a lot of country music is narrative driven and it tells a story and i think um a lot of people like to have that kind of escapism um especially me growing up mm-hmm. i would listen to country music because i love the, the stories and um you, you don't find that in all genres no, but I mean, country music is very often is is music for uh, for the for the roads, for the for the uh, and the like, and moving about. And this is something you've done in your life. You find you in Cornwall now, but you've been all over the place, haven't you? Yeah, no. So I um, I was born in Derbyshire, and then I moved to Milan in Italy, and then I moved to Brussels before coming to St Ives. Um, I've been in St Ives a long time now, but um, but yeah, I definitely had to move around quite a bit growing up. I've had. Uh, some I had a cool childhood. Um, I'm very grateful that I got to move around. I've seen quite a lot of the world. Um, I'm very lucky that I've I've done that. So, so why country music and not sort of girls allowed or One Direction for you? I think uh, with country music, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a country artist. I'd say I'm country influenced. Yeah. Um, I think you know the music I grew up listening to. People like my granddad were really into John Denver, and my mum loved. Um, well, they were the Dixie Chicks. Now they're the Chicks. So yeah. The Chicks. Um, 
an artist like that, um, I love Brandy Carlyle. She's kind of like Americana and she's got a country edge to her. Um, and there's lots of artists that I love, like Sheryl Crow, that, are, that sit in that genre, that sit in that kind of storytelling field. And I think I naturally fell into it because writing was the thing that I was passionate about and, um, and I wanted to tell a story. So I kind of fell into that. That, uh, genre. Yeah, I mean the, the best songs always have a beginning, a middle, of an end, and a nice, nice chorus to, to, to bring you along the way too. Uh, but I mean, it, when you're approaching a song, I mean, how, how do you think about it? I mean, the musical style is something that you know, but is it often you think, well, hang on, I want to write it like this uh, because you get an upbeat feel to even sometimes the saddest of tales. Yeah. Um, well, I think when I'm writing, it kind of just comes very, very natural to me. Um, quite often it's just like a 20 minute thing like I'll just sit in the living room and just write a song in 20 minutes um, when I'm feeling like a raw emotion or I'm inspired so um, so yeah I think I don't necessarily think about it in the is it going to be upbeat is it going to be sad it just kind of naturally happens and you had some uh, amazing career music fully deserved but, uh, but, but being part of a, a magazine uh, article that again that it's Something which takes uh, a lot of a lot of time to be able to get yourself in the right place to, to share yourself in that way, and and that's something that you do from the heart with your music as well. So, it, do you find it's different when you're doing a media piece like that compared to the actual songwriting itself? The song that was in um, the magazine, so in all the the Metro and the Times and stuff, that was "I Wish It Didn't End Like This," and that one was very a very vulnerable song for me. Um, but yeah, I think I, when we went into the studio, I kind of, I, mean, I wrote it from a very sad place, but I kind of wanted it to be upbeat and I wanted it to kind of, I was very inspired by Springsteen um, with that one, to have that kind of 80s movement, like the dance beat. And, um, and I guess that one kind of naturally was more upbeat. <laughs> it's a chance to tell the story though, and, and uh, uh, good to, to see people picking up on uh, an artist who, who actually speaks their mind, which is good. Thank you. I like to be as honest as I can be. I think all my favourite writers, all my favourite artists were people that were honest and people that um, wrote from vulnerability and... Um, I think people connect with that. So what comes next then? Uh, have we got uh, a series of albums in the offing? Um, well, I'm currently working on an EP, which is very exciting. I've been working with John Cornfield at the Sawmills, mm -hmm. um, which is, yeah, really, really cool. Um, and yeah, new material coming soon. Um, I've been writing lots. I've, I've got a, a lot of songs. I've been, I guess, write, I've been writing for years, but I think this new chunk of material I've been working on is what I'm, I'm most proud of. Um, and it's very exciting. It's kind of a new sound, I guess, uh, for me. It's still got the country influence to it, but it's something I've been working on for a long time and it feels more me than anything I've done before. And so you, you almost create your own genre by the way in which you express yourself through your music. Yeah, no, I, I, love, I, I love just all, all music. So I think as long as it feels like me and it's something that I'm proud of and something that I would listen to, um, and that I love, then I think that's, you know, and hopefully that translates to other people. Um, but I guess, you know, you, you make music that you love.
Yeah, and certainly the other people have as well. The chart uh, hits that you've had have, have proven that already, and long may that continue with much more to come from you. We're going to take a listen to Silent Suffering now. To give us just the, uh, uh, the, the socials and the like where we can find about you and your music, and also uh, people can listen to this directly and on repeat, I think, as well. Oh, awesome, thank you. Um, so you can find me on all major streaming sites like Spotify and iTunes and everything, um, but with social media. Um, I'm also on all of those. If you type Bailey Tomkinson into Google, um, quite luckily there's not many of me in the world. <laughs> not many people <laughs> with my name even. I think there's like one or two other people with my name in the world. So I come up very high um, on Google, but my Instagram's Basings13 and it's just Bailey Tomkinson and everything else. So looking out for Bailey Tomkinson and making sure that you enjoy the music. We will do that now. Bailey, thank you for joining us and long may your success continue. Thank you for having me. <laughs>
has a brand new single, Blood is Thicker Than Alcohol, and joins me now to tell me more about the track. Hello. Hi, are you okay? I'm good. So, I mean, what, what is going on in your world at the moment, and, and what brought you to writing this particular track? Because the, the music that you produce is not necessarily something you would expect from your average 19-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, that song was, was um, motivated by... Um, a series of events that were going on um, with someone that's very, very close to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were going through um, a relationship that was abusive uh, with an alcoholic. And there's when you're so close to someone and you see them hurt so much, you, you kind of you feel so helpless that there's nothing you can do. And um, I just decided to... The only way that I can really express my feelings and the way I thought that I could actually do something to help this person was to to write a song because that's 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 pretty much the only thing I'm good at. So <laughs> um I just I got a pen and in 30 minutes this song was was completed. And um I'm hoping that that you know how far this song has got so far is actually enabling this person to see that they're not alone in the situations that they're going through. So all the songs that I write are based on how I'm feeling in a specific moment, mm. or they're based off events that have happened or feelings. Just that every song that I've written so far has just been genuine and and to the point and from the heart, basically. Yeah, absolutely. So. It, this music is more than just, I'm trying to make a pop song, I want to hit the charts. This is about you expressing yourself and the byproduct is other people get to share it, get to have the conversation and get to realise that there is more outside of their bubble. There are other things going on we need to think about. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think another another thing with my music is, like you said, not just wanting to get to number one on the charts. If that happens, fantastic. I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, argue with that or be upset with that. Um, but another goal for my music is to help people. So if there's people in a similar situation or they can relate with the song in any way, that's I feel like I've done a, a good job there because I want people to be able to relate to it or take something from the song that helps them personally. So that's 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 the main goal with, with all the with all the right, um, lyrics and, and songs and stuff. So how much is there in the back catalogue? Because we have this single which is available now, but what else can we find out there? Well, this year, we, last year we recorded four singles. Mm-hmm. The first single was obviously Blood Sick Than Alcohol. That's the first one that's been released. We have three more left to, to dis- distribute. Um, and I'm really looking forward to those because 
um, you know, I, we worked so hard on them at the end mm. of the day, and I'm just, I'm just excited for them all to be released. I want them all to be released now, if I could. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, they're they're kind of they're on the waiting for release, and and that's that's pretty much it as of as of now. And when it comes to your music, you've got people from uh, around your group of peers all listening in and enjoying it, and it's the sort of feedback you get from that that really can help. Yeah, um, I mean that's that's pretty good, you know. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of it's it's all, you know. The, there's a, there's a moment when you kind of like pinch me because a year ago, a year ago today, I never thought for a million years because a year ago yesterday we um, had to leave our home in Hampshire. No, a year, no, five years ago yesterday. Sorry, we had to leave our home in Hampshire. So that was all of those events, which I'm probably going to write a song about at some point because I've been meaning to do that for quite some time. What, probably about five years now um but um yeah that that was a really difficult time for me and my my mum and my brother and I never ever thought from that point to this point I'd actually be doing the dream job that I'd I'd wanted to do since I was a very young girl it's it's so surreal (laughs) but again that's the realness though I mean that it, it may be a surprise to you but I don't think it is for your listening audience because they are hearing music which is heartfelt and meaningful and whether it be something which is much more like a ballad that uh, they, yeah, a, a, a ballad with a story to tell that they maybe weren't expecting oh well you know that just knowing i mean with with the release of blood is sick than alcohol i've i've had um, one or two people even though it's just one or two that's still absolutely that that's great for me one or two people i've seen since the release who have listened to the song have said you know what, I, I can't exactly relate with that in the way it was written, but I can relate with that on another on another level. So even if it's just the chorus that relates with them or a few lyrics, that that to me is it's 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 a good job well done. And you know, knowing that there are so many people that actually do like the songs I write just makes me it's just so overwhelming you know it's something I've always wanted to do and people are actually enjoying enjoying what I wanted to do so that's kind of it's it's perfect and and I'm so thankful to everybody who enjoys my music so so what happens next you say you've got these uh, single releases coming along um you you spend an awful lot of time sharing your music on Facebook is that really a good platform for you because of the level of feedback you can get when you're performing there yeah I mean it's the first one it's the only platform that I really I do anything on you know before music it's the only platform I actually really you know engaged with and talked to people on and stuff so I had quite a few friends before um, starting the music page and then when I started the Bay Harper page I had people all my friends were following it and and friends of friends and friends of family and all that kind of stuff so it was definitely a good way of gauging an audience and um I think Instagram and, and Twitter for me, I wasn't so experienced with Twitter. I knew that everyone used it. No idea myself how to use it. Um, so I kind of did a little bit of, of of things on those two, but I think Facebook was the one I, I really I was familiar with, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, it's, and it's something that you've grown up with as well, and I suppose that makes yeah. a difference. And uh, the fact that uh, it's been there for all of the, the time which you've you know, been allowed to use it by, by age range, <laughs> you know, that, that must be uh, an, an, an interesting way of seeing it because I suppose you see the world in a different way to those of us for whom Facebook was still something new. 
I think that's something with the new generation, isn't it? We're we're so techy. We we always have a phone in our hand, and if we don't have a phone, you know, just in the offhand, not doing anything, we have it up against our ear on the phone to someone. So we're one way or another, we're always on some sort of device, and I think that's something that's really useful in our day and age is the fact that we can use the social media platforms in in ways to help ourselves, which is is yeah, very useful, I would say. <laughs> well, so fingers crossed someone gets some help from your music and realises that there are other people in a similar situation and there are ways out, mm-hmm. which is what counts. So give us all the details of where we can find you on the socials and also pick the music up uh, independently of uh, the online platforms for those who want to just listen on a stream somewhere. Facebook is the main source. Um, type in Betty Harper, you'll get to any of the uh, any of the um, platforms if you type in Betty Harper. So um, Instagram, Twitter, and um, Facebook at the moment. We're trying to expand on those, but um, for now it's just those three. And for the song, um, any major streaming platform like YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Deezer, all these kind of things, you can you can find it on there. Yeah, I mean, TikTok doesn't really suit the long-form ballad, does it, unfortunately? So we'll have to wait and see how you can take that one over. <laughs> I know, yeah. I've, I've, it'd be great if people used it, but I, I, I don't really see it being used that often on TikTok. But, no, it's not, not going to work that way. But <laughs> nah. we'll see how it goes. But for now, I mean, Betty Harper is a name that we certainly need to look out for. We're looking forward to the rest of the singles. We'll listen now to Blood is Thicker Than Alcohol. But for now, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I've watched you fall and try to stand tall I've watched you get hurt and try to cover it all You've wiped tears from your cheeks
612 back with 613 next week. I hope to have you along then. I'll see you soon. Good afternoon. Goodbye from the mill bar. 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 Yeah. Goodbye from the mill bar. Yeah.